This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but one evening we were we were walking on the Perus Trail and we were right next to the campground and this huge tarantula crossed the trail in front of us and headed straight for the campground to one of the tents. Yeah, there's there's tarantulas, but that's just part of the Southwest. You know, they're part of the ambiance. They're they're actually uh, pretty docile. Mm-hmm. They they can't help it that they're big. So, yeah, <laughs> and we scary saw, and hairy. Yeah, we, they they can get pretty big. I almost wanted to go over to that first tent that it was heading for and just warn those people like, oh, "There's a tarantula coming your way." But but then I thought, you know, it might upset some people and then and I didn't want to ruin anyone's good night's sleep. Well, they're in a tent. How good could it be? <laughs> Besides, I don't think that was the only tarantula. In in, in the campground, <laughs> you don't think so? No. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast: stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. Today, we're taking you with us to Utah, to one of the mighty five national parks, Zion. We'll be describing our version of how to spend 2.5 perfect days in the park. We'll talk about some spectacular hikes, a great place to watch the sunset, when the best time is to visit the park, and much, much more coming up next. How in past episodes we've struggled sometimes with pronunciations. You're talking about me now, like <laughs> like the Swaharo Saharo thing. Well, yes, but I'm talking about both of us. This time, it turns out that I've been pronouncing Zion wrong, and I think maybe you have too. Oh, I have too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of your favorite things in the world <laughs> is to find me doing something wrong, isn't it? Well, no. To, no, but it's not just the catching me. It's then telling me that I'm wrong. No, this is both of us because I have always said Zion with a Y. And then we've heard from some very nice folks who live in Utah who pointed out that there is no Y in Zion and it's it's Zion. How do you say it? Zion. I've always said it right. It's, no, you haven't. It's Zion. <laughs> so if I say Zion throughout this episode, would you please correct me? Oh, you you want me to correct you. <laughs> Is that right? Do you, do you want me do you want me to correct other things like just during when we're not recording because if I have permission now to correct no. you that permission is limited to Zion with a Y, Zion. But here's the easy way to remember it for anyone out there who struggles with it like I do. It rhymes with lion. You know, the animal, the lion, L-I-O-N. Oh, that lion. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was thinking of the other lion. Is this something really you have to tell people? Well, it helps me. Zion, lion. 
Okay. Zion Lion. I'm glad we're sharing this. Uh huh. And this is really good information for people who tuned in wanting to know uh, <laughs> what to do if they go to Zion National Park. Oh, for where, anyone who yeah, thought the this first was about the hiking. Four minutes is about how to pronounce the park's name. Well, it's important, I think, to get that correct. Okay, so we we're starting don't. at the beginning. Okay, starting at the beginning. Great. All right. Now we know how to pronounce it. Okay. So 2.5 perfect days in Zion. Wait, I just Wait, said it again. Two- Zion. <laughs> Wait. 2.5 perfect days in Zion. I thought we agreed on 2.6. <laughs> you know, I was waffling between two days and three days because there is enough to fill three days. But do you know why I took it down to 2.5? I have no clue. Well, the reason is, is because there are a couple of really great hikes that normally we would recommend, but the trailhead has been closed for over two years. Talking about Observation Point and the Hidden Canyon, remember those? I do remember those, yeah. Yeah, well, in 2019, there was a rock fall at Weeping Rock, which is the trailhead there, and they haven't been able to, I guess, get that cleaned up yet, which is kind of hard to believe. It's been over two years. They can't clean up the rocks? It's taken them two years to clean the rocks up? I'm not trying to disparage the NPS. I'm sure it must be... An incredible cleanup, probably huge boulders and limited funds and maybe even limited trail crews. Hopefully it will reopen in the near future. Yeah, those are both really great hikes. I enjoyed it when we did them. So I'm looking forward to those opening back up. Yeah, me too. So two and a half days. For people who haven't been to Zion before, there are a couple different sections. There are actually three roads that go into the park, and none of them are connected to each other. That's right. Most of the time, visitors who go to Zion, they're coming into the park right north of the town of Springdale on Highway 9. That's how most people go. I think of that as the main road. I do too. And that takes you into Zion Canyon, and that is where most visitors are headed, and that's where they spend their time. And that's what we're going to focus on today is the Zion Canyon area. So that Highway 9, it comes in through the south. It goes up into the park a little ways. Then it turns to the east. It takes you up, up, up to the Mount Carmel Tunnel, and then you exit the park up on the east side, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the main road that runs through the park. And you're paying the $35 <laughs> to, to go through the so park. So wel- welcome. That's right. You might as well stop and do some things. But even if you drive to Springdale, let's say from Vegas or somewhere from the, the west or the south, you've got to go up and go through that Mount Carmel Tunnel. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do, I, that drive and... Both the landscape on the east side and the west side, its they're very different, and they're both, I think, stunning. I think so, too. You've got to see both sides. So I looked it up. The Zion Mount Carmel Tunnel, which is a, just over a mile long, it was built in the late 1920s and completed in 1930. And at the time that it was dedicated, it was the longest tunnel of its type in the United States. Were there other tunnels longer of different types? <laughs> Yeah, Matt, I wasn't alive back in 1930. Oh, you weren't? No, so I don't know what other kind of tunnels there were back then. (laughs) Okay. But they built this so that people could get to Bryce Canyon without having to go way, way, way around. Yeah, and that makes sense. It cuts off a lot of driving. You can get to Bryce another way, but it's, it's kind of a 
long, winding road. The tunnel is basically the exact same as it was back in 1930, except they have, they did put some ribbing in to reinforce it. And in 1958, there was a partial collapse. One of the pillars collapsed. Was this before the ribbing or (laughs) after the ribbing? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But since then, they now monitor the tunnel electronically 24 hours a day, and it will warn park officials to the danger of a recurrence of a collapse. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that kind of freaks me out going in tunnels like that where you're going through a mountain and it's dark. I think about it collapsing. Do you ever think about when we're driving through? (laughs) No, but I think I will now. Thank you for putting that idea in my head, especially that tunnel. Sometimes people drive slow through there. I don't know what they think they're going to see, but people drive slow in that tunnel. Well, they do. And here's the thing. There are a couple of, you could call them windows. I mean, there's no glass, but there are openings that are blasted to the side with views of Zion Canyon. And I think people are trying to either take pictures or trying to see the view as they drive past. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to do that. There are no pedestrians allowed in there, no walking in there, no bikes are allowed in there. And then one more note, if you happen to have an oversized vehicle, you need to get on the park website because those are only allowed during certain times and you have to get a permit. And the the rangers direct traffic when there are oversized vehicles to one-way traffic. So if you have a big rig, get on the website and check that out. What's an oversized rig? What do you consider oversized? Well, I didn't write it down because it was a little too much detail, but they're concerned not as much with the length, but the height and the width because that's a narrow tunnel. Yeah, those are the standards I usually use. Is that right, Matt? Yeah. So, I think if you're I think if you're oversized, you know it. <laughs> don't you think? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, don't miss seeing that tunnel because it's incredible. And w- when you come out of the tunnel, if you're if you're headed into the park, those views are stunning. They are. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's a couple of other roads. Yes. That lead into the park. You want to talk about those? It's a little confusing because the Kolob Terrace Road is on the east side of the park, and that takes you into some trailheads. We accessed that when we did the subway. There is the Lava Point Campground that's further up on that road. And then it takes you into the park, then it takes you back out of the park on the north side, and it dead ends at the Kolob Reservoir. Yeah, but that's an important entrance because those are some pretty cool things over there, those trailheads. Yes, absolutely. But people, I think, get that. So Kolob Terrace Road, they get that confused with the other section of the park that's called the Kolob Canyon section. Right, right. And we've been up there, too. That's in the northwest kind of part of the park. And it's its own entrance off I-15. It's got its own visitor center. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and, And that's an interesting part of the park, too. So it is worth... You know, maybe even more than 2.5 days if you go several times sure. to see these different areas of the park. Yeah, if you've got extra time, I would definitely go up to the Kolob Canyon section and check that out. And one thing I wanted to mention was the visitation, because if you have already been to Zion, you know that it can be very, very crowded. Um, I read on the park website that 70% of visitors come during the busiest six months, which are April through September. That makes sense because you got spring breaks in April, plus a lot of families visit in the summer when the kids are on summer vacation. Sure. Summer's busy. In 2019, there were 
almost 4.5 million visitors. Now, in, in 2020, it dropped a little bit because of COVID and because they were doing that shuttle ticket thing, which they're not doing anymore. And visitation dropped by almost a million to 3.5. But what I wanted to know, Matt, was what it was the first time we visited back in 2010. Yeah. And what was it, Karen? It was about 2.5 million. So in, in nine years, it jumped almost 2 million visitors. Yeah, getting popular. And that's kind of the story of a lot of national parks, isn't it? Yes. So if you're going to Zion in the busy season, take your patience with you. Pack your patience because you're going to need it. To help deal with these crowds of visitors, Zion has a shuttle system to get people in and out of the canyon area of the park. Yeah, I don't know what year they started doing that, but I do remember it was up and running back in 2010 when we first visited. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of shuttle systems. Obviously, it's a little inconvenient, although they do a good job with their shuttles. And we've said this on other podcast episodes, but uh, there is a workaround. If you stay at the lodge, which is in the valley, uh, you don't have to take the shuttle. Right. Because you have to, they, they have to let those visitors be able to drive to the to the lodge. And, um, and it's not super easy to get a room at the lodge, but that's that's one workaround. Yeah, a huge bonus to be able to stay in the park there away from uh, all the other visitors who are just shuttling in. Well, another way to get around it also is you can ride a bike along the road mm-hmm. in the valley. However, we did that one time and they, they told us the rule was when a bus approaches from either side, it's the rule you have to stop and get off your bike. And I can't believe that's still the rule. Maybe, it is. I looked it up. Oh, that's because the buses are coming by I like know. literally every one minute. So yeah, it, that's that's kind of a hassle. They said a bus will not pass a, a bicyclist. So if a bus is coming behind you, you have to stop, pull over and get off your bike. That's one of the park rules. There are a couple of months a year that you can drive back into this part of the park. Typically, what, Matt? I'm looking here. It says the shuttles are running March through November, and then they run weekends in February and the first half of March and the last week in December. So I guess that means, what, December, January, and February, you can drive back there. Right, except on weekends. You know, year by year, they they might change those dates. But yeah, I mean, December and January, you're probably... Yeah. Free to drive back there. One note, though, the parking lots are small and the crowds are still pretty big. So you will still likely have trouble parking unless you get back there early. That's right. So the shuttle, what you would want to do to pick up the shuttle is go to the Zion Canyon Visitor Center. That's the main hub. And then from there, it stops at different places along the Zion Canyon Scenic Drive. It's about an eight-mile-long road trip from the visitor center back to that last stop, which is the Temple of Sinawava. And they leave every few minutes. I know it's a hassle sometimes to, to stop and you know have to park there at the visitor center and get on a shuttle, but it seems like they're running pretty frequently. They are, and it's free, and you can get on and off as you want. So it wasn't that big of a burden. Just a couple of things. The, the park website stresses that you don't want to plan on taking the very last shuttle out of the park. So if you're back at Temple of Sinawava and, and the last shuttle comes and it's full and you can't get on, you are screwed. 
because you're now walking <laughs> to, to Zion Lodge, which is many, many miles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that Temple of Sinawava, that is the furthest north stop. So when you're visiting, you want to check out the shuttle schedule because it varies by season, obviously. They, they kind of time it to when the sun comes up and the sun goes down. So I know the last time we were there in mid-March, they were uh, running until 5 o'clock. And I think on long summer days, they go you know many hours later. So check the shuttle schedule when you're there. And it can be a little confusing. I was confused about this when we went the first couple times. There's another shuttle. The town of Springdale itself has their own shuttle. And that goes down Highway 9 through town, actually quite a ways. So this allows people who are staying in the motels in the town of Springdale to just get on that shuttle, which takes you to... It takes you to the edge of the park, and then there's a walkway that you can then walk from where the shuttle drops you off to the visitor center. You can drive your own car to the visitor center. However, that parking lot fills up pretty quickly. And as you go through the little entrance station, the the one that's by Springdale, there will oftentimes be an electronic reader board that says... Visitor center, parking full, take the shuttle. So that's what that means. You know, the other option too, Matt, is I think once we walked. And and it's not that far of a walk. I mean, we've stayed at a couple of different places in Springdale. The Driftwood Lodge is, is one we've stayed a few times. And we've walked from the Driftwood Lodge. It's not that far. No, it's not that far. And there's sidewalks. And so your options are to get to the visitor center. Again, you could walk from your hotel. You could take the town shuttle to the visitor center. Or if you're lucky, you could drive, find a parking spot. And from that point, you pick up the Zion Canyon shuttle to go into the park. And this is the visitor center right to the north of the town of Springdale. Mm -hmm. Zion Canyon Visitor Center. That's right. Which, by the way, is only open from 8 to 5. So just note that because if you are getting an earlier start on a shuttle, let's say to go hike the Narrows, You need to have all your info ahead of time because the visitor center would not be open until 8. Right. And I know when we picked up our wilderness permits, we had to be there by 5 because they closed. Okay. So how are we going to fill up our 2.5 days? (laughs) Oh, Matt, you're trying to skip right past that History Channel again. I I see Oh, that's right. No, I see it. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's the History Channel. I keep making it bigger and bolder on the outline so you can see it, but... Maybe you need to get those reading glasses on. Well, I'm glad to see that you're starting your uh, history lesson about the park in the 19th century, not (laughs) 10,000 years ago. So, If I had the time, I would go back 10,000 years because there's a lot of great park history about the original ancestral people who settled there. But unfortunately, we don't have time. But we don't have 10,000 years. I think what's most interesting about this is how Zion came upon its name. So by 1858, Mormon settlers had moved into the Virgin River Corridor in the immediate vicinity of Zion Canyon. At that time, these remote canyonlands were wild and were barely explored. In 1862, several farming families had founded the town of Springdale, just outside what will become the park later. And in 1863, a Mormon settler named Isaac Bahunin built a one-room log cabin near the site of what is now Zion Lodge, and he farmed tobacco, sugarcane, and fruit trees. It was Isaac who named the place Zion Canyon, and he is quoted with saying, a man can worship God among these great cathedrals as well as he can in any man-made church. This is Zion. 
But just a few years later, John Wesley Powell visited the area, and he named the canyon Makuntuweep, believing that to be the proper name of the place when the area was home to the Southern Paiute Indians. Mukuntuweep means straight canyon, which probably refers to the very high, near-perpendicular canyon walls. I'm not sure you pronounced that right. You said Mukuntuweep. Is it Mukuntuweep? Mukuntuweep. Mukuntuweep, yeah. Sometimes, you know how sometimes you pronounce things <laughs> wrong? <laughs> could I continue with my history channel? <laughs> <I don't, laughs> you could. Mormon isolation in that area ended in the 1870s with the arrival of outside surveying expeditions and the railroads and the growing number of non-Mormon miners and ranchers. But Mormons continued to farm in Zion Canyon until it was federally protected in 1909. And that's the year that President William Howard Taft proclaimed Makuntuweep National Monument. However, the local residents were shocked and angry by this. They considered this Zion Canyon. They thought it was an insult to the Mormon heritage and to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So in 1918, the acting director of the newly created National Park Service, Horace Albright, took the matters into his own hands, and he changed the park's name to Zion National Monument. And then the next year, Congress enlarged and redesignated the monument to Zion National Park. So two years ago in November, it celebrated its 100-year anniversary. I think we missed that celebration, Matt. We did. We were probably there on, on its 100th anniversary. I know. I'm not sure how we didn't know about that. So the name could have been Makuntuweep. Makuntuweep. Mm-hmm. And, A little uh, harder to pronounce. And some people can't say Zion correctly. <laughs> so they have no chance of saying Makuntuweep. And I don't yeah. even know if I'm saying it correctly. I'm not even sure I'm saying that so correctly. So all of the cultural references aside, Zion is a little easier to pronounce and spell. As long as you don't put that Y in there. So great history channel description, Karen. Thank you, Matt. So let's bring it to the current day (laughs) and talk about what we would do in the park if we had a few perfect days. We're going to talk about our perfect two and a half days, and you can take bits and pieces and mix and match for your own itinerary. It does depend on when you are visiting because... We're going to talk about, you know, hiking the Narrows, and you might not be able to do that because the spring runoff, the water might be too high. You'll have to kind of uh, pick and choose, mix and match from what we're going to talk about for your own trip. For your own trip? For my (laughs) Well, not your trip, because I'll plan that, but uh, I'm just talking in in general, everybody else's. Yeah, I just kind of (laughs) lost you. (laughs) I'm just listening. I'm enthralled. I I would really like to visit this park someday. (laughs) Does it sound good to you, Matt? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. we haven't even gotten into the 2.5 days. Well, you know what I would like to start with, Karen? Just just start, to keep it simple, mm-hmm. what would you do with the first 0.25 of a day? <laughs> <laughs> Can okay. you tell me that? Yes. Okay. So, so you're arriving late in the afternoon from someplace else. Maybe you're coming from Bryce or maybe you're coming from Vegas, whatever. So you're arriving in Zion late in the afternoon. One of our favorite things to do is to, it's not really a hike, it's a walk, the Perouse Trail, and do that at sunset. Yeah, I like that because it's nice and flat and we can take our time. Yes. It's about 1.7 miles one way. You can pick it up at the visitor center and then you head north, but it's paved. And it's, in fact, it's the only wheelchair accessible trail in the park. However, just... 
note that if you're going to watch the sunset, then the sun's behind you. So you mm-hmm. start at the visitor center, go north, you're, then you're going to come back towards the visitor center, and that's the direction of the sunset. Right, because there's really no place else to park. That's the problem. So by sunset or by late afternoon, there are usually parking spots at the visitor center, so it's it's not that tough to find. But the other option that people have is if you're coming on the shuttle from inside Zion Canyon, you could get off at the Canyon Junction. Now you're on the north end of the Perus Trail, and then you're walking south to the visitor center, and you're staring right at the sunset. Yeah, and you're just walking one way. Yes. You're not going out and back. And mm-hmm. we should say, this is not... This is not a normal sunset because you're in a canyon. The way the sunset happens in Zion is the sun, as it's setting in the west, it's reflecting off of the mountains and kind of uh, reverberating back. And so it's not your typical uh, sunset like you would think of if you were sitting on a beach and watching the watching the sun go over the horizon, over the ocean. This is You're not really seeing the sun, but you're seeing it light up the cliffs. Right. And especially the watchman, that that large sandstone mountain, oftentimes it just glows in the sunset like it's on fire. Yeah. Also, we should uh, note, it's the only trail in the park where you can take your pet has to be on a leash. And um, what if it's a cat? Well, cat has to be on a leash too. And it's it's the only trail you can bike on as well. It follows the Virgin River, and then you cross over a couple of bridges back and forth. And we stood on one of those bridges during sunset and took some incredible photos because, I don't know, the water kind of lit up, and it was beautiful. Yeah, and every day is different, right? I mean, the depending on the clouds in the sky and uh, the time of the year, it's just, it's really a spectacular area. So that's a great hike slash walk to do at sunset. Yes, and it's easy. So if your legs are tired from hiking, this one is fairly flat and not too difficult. So that would be my first 0.25 of the day. <laughs> okay, well, that, that took 0.25 of a day to describe I know. our first okay. 0.25. All right, so your first full day. Obviously, you're going to stop at the visitor center and Unless you had a chance to do it before five o'clock on the day before. So stop at the visitor center, take care of your business. As we said, Zion Canyon Visitor Center open from eight to five. And then you would want to pick up the shuttle and go to the drop off for Angels Landing, which is the grotto shuttle stop. Mm -hmm. The Angels Landing hike, this is new this year, 2022. You need a permit for that. And it's essentially a lottery it's gotten very crowded. Um, it's it's kind of a treacherous hike, and, and being treacherous and crowded, they felt like, well, we needed to limit the number of people going. So you have to get a permit, um, but it's a five and about a five and a half mile round trip from the base of the valley. From the trailhead. Yeah, yeah from mm-hmm. the trailhead mm-hmm. up. It's, gosh, about 1,500 feet elevation gain yes. to get up there and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scary part or the kind of treacherous part of Angel's Landing doesn't start until the end, until you have climbed up to an area called Scout Lookout. And that is the point in the hike where you need a permit. Anyone can hike up to Scout Lookout. Yes. And we would recommend it to everyone. It's an incredible hike up there. And we do that. We like that hike. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do an alternative to Angel's Landing. It's like Angel's Landing. I'm a little nervous about doing it with so many other people. And so now that they've gone to a permit system, if we ever got a 
uh, permit to do it and there were fewer people, I'd probably be more comfortable. But it's just, uh, it's it's a dangerous trail. People have died. And I just think that there are other there are other spectacular views of the valley that are just as good. Yeah, I have no desire to do Angel's Landing. So let me describe it briefly here. When you get to Scout Lookout, that's where the section with the chains starts, where you, you can hang on to a chain. So this part is a half a mile out on a narrow mountain ridge, and it has steep drop-offs on both sides, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 feet, and you are going up another 500 feet in this half mile. So it's pretty much single file from the videos I've seen. So you know if you're going one way and hanging onto the chain and somebody's coming the other way, you have to figure out how you're going to get, who's going to let go and how you're going to get around each other. Um, so tons of videos online if you think you want to do it, but you're not sure, get online, Google it, you can watch videos. For me, it's a big no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that it's it's worth the risk. I mean, I, there's other, like I said, there's other hikes that are, I think, just as spectacular that that aren't as risky. So that that's what we do. But yeah. it is fun. I like the hike just up to, to Scout Lookout. It's pretty steep. To start with. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, you'll you'll be out of breath. And then you go through an area called Refrigerator Canyon, which is shady and cool. So I, I guess that's why it's called Refrigerator Canyon. <laughs> I guess so. It's not very long. I don't know, maybe a couple hundred yards long. And then you get to this set of switchbacks. The steep part starts again. And those are called Walter's Wiggles. It's a set of 21 switchbacks. It's it's basically like climbing the stairs of a skyscraper. We have seen some marriages break up on Walter's Wiggles <laughs> many seen, times. We've, we've seen a lot there. of unhappy people <laughs> <laughs> that may have been married when they started the hike and not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up. lots of uh, grumbling and complaining and questioning why they ever married their spouse in the first place. So it's interesting to, to see people's reaction on there. Yeah, it's a strenuous hike up to Scout Lookout, but you can always take your time. Sure, go sure. Go as slow as you want. So when you get to Scout Lookout, and again, there are incredible views, so just to hike up there is fantastic. Then your choices are turn around and go back down, or go to the right and do the kind of sketchy part of Angel's Landing. Or what we like to do is we continue on, we turn to the left and continue on the West Rim Trail. And if you go up that a ways, I don't know how far, maybe quarter mile, half mile, I don't know, it doesn't seem very far. There's a rock outcropping where you can see almost the same view of the valley that you see from Angel's Landing. I think it's great up there. And and there's not, not that many people. Yes, the couple times we've done it, there's hardly been anyone up there. And it is cool because you're actually looking down on Angel's Landing from up there. Right, yeah. Um, so some amazing views. Now, the West Rim Trail is about 15 miles long. So we only, we probably add on maybe a mile or two from Scout Landing. We've never, you know, hiked all the way up, but that's in my bucket is I'd like to do it the reverse way. You start at Lava Point do it as one long day hike and hike the 15 miles back down to to the grotto bus stop shuttle stop yeah i know that's in your bucket so there are, yeah there is still a couple of things in zion that we we want to do and that's one of them we we got to figure out the best weather time to do that though yeah the reason we haven't done it is because we usually try to go to zion in 
March or November. We've been there in January, and you cannot access that lava point in the winter. It's closed because it's much higher elevation, and they get a lot of snow. So this is kind of a summer or early fall hike to do. So we'll have to, you know, go back when it's warmer and there isn't snow up there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, once you're done with whether you go up to Angel's Landing or just the Scout Lookout or up the West Rim Trail, that's kind of the hike for the morning. Then you come back down the trail, back to the trailhead where you started. And from there, and we've done this a few times, you can just walk to the Zion Lodge. I don't know how far the Zion Lodge is from the trailhead. It seems like maybe, I don't know, half mile? I'd say half to a mile-ish. Yeah. Zion Lodge is the only place inside the park where you can buy food. We have had lunch there many times. Plus, you just want to go check out the lodge. And they have a huge grassy area out in front. So if it's nice, you could buy your lunch and sit outside and have a picnic. Or if you brought your lunch, but definitely check out Zion Lodge. And there's usually deer in the big grassy area. There's <laughs> <Yes>. a huge <laughs> tree in the grassy area. It's very National Park-like. It's it's mm-hmm. stunning setting. Yes, absolutely stunning. So then after lunch, we'd suggest hiking the Emerald Pools Trail from right from the lodge. Yeah, there's a lower, middle, and upper. And are those all still open? Yes, they were closed for a long time. They just reopened those, all three of them. Okay, so yeah, that's a great after-lunch thing to do. That's an easier trail than the one we talked about for the morning. Much easier. In fact, the lower Emerald Pool has a paved path. It's about a half mile. It's pretty much for anyone, any type of hiker. You could go check out the lower Emerald Pool. And then once you've gotten to that point, then the trail starts to get rougher and it starts to go up and it's a quarter mile to reach the middle emerald pool that feeds the waterfalls that tumble into lower emerald pool. And then continuing on another half mile, you'll reach upper emerald pool, a kind of a strenuous trek up there, but the payoff is probably the prettiest pool of all. An upper emerald pool is fed by a 400-foot waterfall surrounded by sheer cliffs. Yeah, I think we've only done that one time. Yes, Like maybe the Mm -hmm. first time we were ever at Zion. Yeah, it's been closed a lot when we've been there. So I think that's one of the reasons we haven't gone back. Uh, A couple of notes. This is one of the most popular hikes in the park, so it will be crowded. And like most waterfalls in the summer, it can be reduced to a trickle. So if you're expecting, you know, this big, incredible waterfall, you might be disappointed. I would guess that the spring runoff would be when that waterfall's the fullest. Yes, or after a rainstorm. 
Okay, so then you come back to the trailhead, which is, what, right across the road from Zion Lodge. Right, and you can pick the shuttle up at the lodge. Pick up the shuttle and take it back to the visitor center. It's now time to head back to your hotel. Well, actually, it's time for a beer. It's happy hour. (laughs) Yeah, the Smiths would need a beer at that point. And in town, you're going to be looking for a place to eat. Yes. Yeah. And our favorite... Our favorite is Zion Pizza and Noodle. Mm-hmm. We've never had the noodle. No, because their pizza is incredible, and we can never, we can never make the switch. I have seen people eating noodles, eating pasta, and it all looks good. Why but, don't we just get both? Yeah, I don't know. That's the pizza is so good that we hate to not order that. Yes. Now this place gets crowded, so here's what we do: we go, we put our name in, and then literally next door, like. Three steps from the hostess stand is a great outfitter store called Zion Outdoors. Yeah, and I think there's a they have an arrangement. I, I'm not always sure that the that the Zion Pizza and Noodle is full, <laughs> but they make you wait, so you have to go to the outdoor store, and we always buy something. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great store. And especially if you, you know, forgot stuff or you just find cool stuff. But they have, you know, hiking shoes and socks and clothes and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, so that is day one. A perfect day. Yeah, and then you, after all that pizza and noodle, you go pass out in your hotel room. That's right, because you're going to get an early start the next day because... Ooh, the next day, day two, our recommendation is to hike the Narrows. Now, the Narrows is a section of the Virgin River. It's this whole Zion Valley, the Zion Canyon. The river that cut that canyon is the Virgin River. And there is an area of that where the canyon walls are very tight and they rise up a thousand feet on both sides. It's essentially a slot canyon. And that is a fantastic hike to do. It is. We did an entire podcast episode about our experience hiking the Narrows. It's episode number six. So if you want a lot more detail than we're going to talk about now, check that one out. Now you can do this hike from the bottom up or the top down. The bottom up is the easier way to do it and it doesn't require a permit. Top down has a lot of other gyrations about how to get to the put in and crossing out of the park and through private land. And so anyway, the the bottom up is kind of what we recommend. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if one day they instigated a permit system for that because it gets very crowded. Yeah. We recommend going early. Yes. Whatever the first shuttle is when you happen to be there, take the first shuttle. Yeah. And it's not just because it's less crowded. One thing that we have found, and it makes total sense, but you wouldn't think about this until you're out there hiking. You're hiking through the river, and as people hike through the river, they're kicking up silt. And if there are people in front of you, then there's a little bit of silt that's kind of clouding the water. But if, if there's very few people in front of you, you can see the bottom, and it's the water's crystal clear. And the earlier you get out there, the better you're going to be able to see what's what's in the water. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is take the shuttle to the very end of the park road. The last shuttle stop is the Temple of Sinawava. You start off on the Riverside Walk, which is a, a pretty easy one-mile trail to where you enter the river. And I just want to mention, too, if you have no desire to hike in the Narrows, I think everybody should go back there and hike that um 
Riverside Walk. It's really pretty. Yeah, and I think it's paved, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's paved all the way back to where you enter the river to do the hike. Yeah, so we would recommend that regardless. This is one of those hikes where I guess any hike is like that. You can go as far as you want and turn around, but you're going to see some spectacular stuff almost right away. Most people's destination is the Wall Street section of the Narrows, which is where the walls rise up to 1,500 feet tall, and the river is only 22 feet wide here. It's really spectacular. And we've said before, the the river is the trail. For some portions of the trail, there is like a shore, there's a sandy beach, but, but when you get to areas like the Wall Street, there is no beach. There's, there is just water and rock right and you are in the river you are in the river so if you want to just go to wall street it's two miles in the river to get to wall street obviously you add on the mile that you hiked on the riverside and then the return so that would be a six mile total hike just to go to wall street yeah and that's that's a spectacular hike. I mean, yes. if you just did went to Wall Street and back, that, yes. that would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, the furthest you can go is to Big Springs. That's another two miles past Wall Street, and that's where hikers have to turn around. And that all totaled would put you at 10 miles. And that's what we did. Right. Yeah. I can't remember how many hours it took us. I think we got in the river at about eight, and I think we got out about... Three? Does that sound right? Yeah, that's that's about right. Mm-hmm. And and we're going pretty slow because when you're in the river, there's a lot of areas where the rocks are pretty big. When I say big, I mean like bowling ball kind of size and shape. And so you're not just you know one foot in front of the next. You're you're searching for your next foothold. Well, yeah, and some sections are deeper than others. So sometimes you know we have pictures where. The water is only up to my ankles, and then there are pictures where it got up to the tops of our thighs. Obviously, it depends on how much water is running through the canyon the day you're there. But yeah, we never had. Uh, we've done it a couple times. I don't think we've ever had an area where we had to swim. No. Although sometimes, I mean, if it's if it's waist high or even you know a little bit higher, sometimes it gets to the point where it's just easier to swim if there's like a twenty <laughs> foot section. Sure. And it's waist high and you can't see the bottom. You just like swim it. I loved it. I thought it was exhilarating when we did it back for the first time in two thousand and ten. It was unlike any hike we had ever done. I don't even know if we had been in a slot canyon at that point yet. I don't know. It's it's spectacular. And, and not only was it fun and interesting to, to hike in the river and right up against those canyons, but there's something about the way the light bounces off the canyon walls. If you take photographs at all, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to take a bad photograph. Mm-hmm. In those slot canyons, the photographs always look better after you take them than in the viewfinder. Definitely. And again, starting early, if you can get out ahead of the crowd, you can take a lot of pictures with nobody in them. Because when you return in the afternoon, there will be 7 million people at the mouth of the canyon swimming and splashing and having a good time. It's it's like a beach. Yeah, especially know? when the weather's warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, is, it is a beach and it's yeah. crazy crowded. Now, a couple of suggestions as to what to wear and what to take. We saw people wearing jeans, which we wouldn't recommend because when they get wet, they get really heavy and they stay wet. So we'd recommend quick, dry, synthetic clothing that when it gets wet and you're in and out, it it has a chance of drying. 
Right. And as far as a backpack, you want to take the essentials. What I have done, what we've done a couple of times is put a dry bag inside the backpack. Anything that you don't want to get wet then goes in the dry bag and goes in the backpack. Some people actually have backpacks that are dry bags. Uh, so you can do that also. If you're going to do this hike, you really have to assume that you're going under. Yes. Because even if it's never more than, let's say, mid-thigh, you could trip and fall easily, mm -hmm. right? And Which it's not a big deal, right? But just plan on your backpack getting completely wet. So if you have something like a camera or a phone or extra clothes or your lunch, you want that stuff to go in the dry bag so it, it stays dry. Absolutely. And definitely take food and water because you could be out there for a long time. And take a poop disposal bag and something to put toilet paper in. You can imagine what the canyon would be like if everyone just left their waist. Ugh, yeah. Gross. Now, there's a big debate about what kind of shoes to wear. A lot of people rent water shoes. There are some outfitters in Springdale that will rent you water shoes and a big hiking stick. So if you're flying in and you don't have room to bring any of that stuff, that's great. And we've talked to people who've rented that and thought it was wonderful. When we went the first time, a park ranger suggested that we just go in in our hiking boots and socks. And that's what we have done. Right. And for this hike and other hikes where we know there's water crossing, a lot of times what I do is I will bring old hiking boots because I know unless like it's going to be sunny and 100 degrees the next day, which sometimes it is in Utah, uh, those hiking boots might stay wet for the rest of the trip. I like the ankle support mm -hmm. of my ankle high hiking boots. That's right. I do too. And then the other thing too is the big stick is very necessary or your trekking poles. You don't necessarily need two. We we have done it with one before. You just need that third point of contact to help stabilize you on those slippery rocks. I like trekking poles better than the big stick. However, there is a reason why people have those big wooden sticks. And that is because it's much easier to find the depth of the water because there's times when it might be three feet deep, but it's like any trail right off of where you're stepping could be six feet deep. And those long poles are good for figuring out how deep the water is, which trekking poles aren't as good. So there's kind of pros and cons to both those approaches. Yeah. And as far as when to do it, um, so we've done it twice. We did it in early June, and we have done it in mid-September. And I think the September one was a lot better because the water wasn't as deep, it wasn't running as fast, and it wasn't as cold. Now, that being said, people do this all year round. We were there once in, was it January? And people were going in in wetsuits. <laughs> yeah, and I would actually, all seriousness, I would like to do that sometime. Great. You can tell me how it was. I'll be sitting in front of a fireplace somewhere sipping on hot chocolate while you are out in the narrows in your wetsuit. Now, when the spring runoff, when the water is flowing really high and fast, the park does close the narrows. So th there is a section of time when it's not available. They also close it when there is a flash flood warning issued by the National Weather Service, and it stays closed for two hours after the warning is lifted. So like any slot canyon, if there is rain in the forecast anywhere in the area, this is not something that you want to attempt. So if you Take your time and do that hike, which I'm sure will be amazing. Uh, that's kind of your day activity. Well, yeah. It's probably time 
when you're done with that to relax. Yeah, because the other thing too that we didn't think about until we got out and got back on the shuttle bus, we were soaking wet. Remember that? And we sat by some people on the bus and like our butts kind of made yeah. these puddles. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so unless it's a really hot day and you want to hike somewhere to dry off, you're, you're going to be wet. Yeah, and and so will the people sitting next to you on <laughs> on the bus. That's just the way it is. <laughs> right. So that is going to fill up if you do if you go back to the end that's going to fill up most of your day. Yeah, and that is your day activity and then when you get back to town, Springdale, if you're not staying at the lodge for instance, uh we go to the Bit and Spur, mm-hmm. the restaurant there in Springdale and we, we love the food there and it's a nice little bar. Sometimes we sit at the bar because then there's no waiting. Yes. You know, if, if it's mm-hmm. crowded. Yeah. So we highly recommend the bit and spur. Or you could go back to Zion Pizza and Noodle, which yeah, we have we've, done, we've done many also. times. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So the last 0.25 part of the half day, this is, this is actually day three. So let's say you're leaving the park now. We'd recommend that you get up early and leave Zion via the Mount Carmel Highway. So this is up through the tunnel during sunrise because we did that once and it was spectacular. Yeah, that's a beautiful drive. And like I said, it's it's uh, beautiful both uh, approaching the tunnel. So if you're coming from the west, going east, uh, climbing up the switchbacks to the tunnel, it, that side's beautiful. And then when you get through the tunnel... The drive then further east, I think that's incredible. That whole checkerboard canyon, is that what it's called? Checkerboard Mesa. Mesa? Right, right. But before you get to the checkerboard Mesa, there's one more very quick hike that we would recommend. And the reason that you need to get an early start on this one too is because the, the parking is just as you exit the tunnel. And it's very limited parking, and it fills up fast. So this is called the Canyon Overlook Trail, and we really liked that one, didn't we? Yeah, I like that uh, trail a lot. The parking is, it's kind of sketchy. It's hard to find parking. Yes, and you've got, if you're there midday, you've got all this traffic going in and out of the tunnel, and you're trying to find parking, and there are people running across the road. It can be a zoo up there. So if you go early, though, you might have the place to yourself. It's just a, it's a mile out and back trail, but you are up looking down into the canyon, and you're actually looking down at the switchbacks of the road and the tunnel. Yeah, we we need to do that hike again sometime and maybe early so that we can get a find a parking spot. But yeah, so east of there, further on east is the Checkerboard Mesa area and that's mm-hmm. that's a beautiful drive, just just ah. a drive. So if now you've come out of the park even if uh then let's say you have to get back to Vegas or wherever, it's it's worth driving one way and then turning around and driving it it back cuz you see you see the landscape from different angles. Yeah, it's an incredible park. You can see why it's so crowded and so beloved because it is it's unlike any place else we've ever been. Okay, before we close, let's talk about where to stay. Okay. Well, we've stayed at the Zion Canyon Lodge 
a that's few our, times. That's our favorite place and to stay. And we've talked about this lodge on another episode. Mm-hmm. It's one of the historic park lodges. Right. Um, <laughs> built back in the 1920s. It has that famous architect, Gilbert Stanley Underwood, who also designed some of the places in Grand Canyon and Bryce. But sadly, then this lodge burned down in 1966, and it was rebuilt 100 days later. But those cabins, which we always try to stay in, those are original. Those did not burn down. Those in the didn't fire. burn down. And mm-hmm. we loved, uh, we always try to get one of those cabins because mm-hmm. uh, it kind of has a national park feel that you're in a, in a cabin. Yeah. And they have fireplaces and they, it, it's very romantic. We've been there on our anniversary before. And I always suggest that to people when they ask where they should go on their anniversary. Yeah. But that said, I remember the, uh, the other rooms, the kind of the motel room type rooms mm-hmm. those are nice too oh yes yeah so there's nothing wrong with those no there's nothing wrong We've, with that yeah and again it's so nice to be inside the park in the evening and especially after everyone has left and ride your bike or just walk down the park road it's a huge advantage to stay at this lodge yeah but if you can't get reservations <laughs> but if you can't get reservations where the heck are you going to stay well springdale darling little springdale there's a huge selection of hotels and motels in springdale There are, and we have noticed in the last few years, just the other outskirt areas of Zion National Park, there's other lodging that's cropping up Mm -hmm. under canvas. There's a ranch There's a ranch up there. I think Mm -hmm. they they raise bison up there uh, uh, to the east of the park. So yeah, there there are more lodging options than just Springdale, but Springdale's very convenient. Well, it is. That, that's one of the pluses of staying there is because it's so close to the park. Now, if you're campers, there are three campgrounds. The Watchman and South campgrounds are right near the visitor center there in Zion Canyon. They're on either side. Watchman is open all year, and the South campground is closed in the winter. One note about that, maybe I shouldn't say this, <laughs> but one evening we were well, we were walking on the Peruse Trail and we were right next to the campground and this huge tarantula crossed the trail in front of us and headed straight for the campground to one of the tents. Yeah, yeah, there's there's tarantulas, but that's just part of the Southwest, you know, they're... Part of the ambiance. They're, they're actually uh, pretty docile. Mm-hmm. They, they can't help it that they're big. But uh, yeah, it's we scary saw, and hairy. Yeah, we've we've, <laughs> we've seen quite a few tarantulas in our travels, haven't we? We will save those our tarantula stories for another time. But yeah, yeah um, I know they they can get pretty big. I almost wanted to go over to that first tent that it was heading for and just warn those people, like, oh, there's a tarantula coming your way. But uh, but then I thought, you know, it might upset some people, and then and I didn't want to ruin anyone's good night's sleep. Well, they're in a tent. How good could it be? <laughs> Besides, I don't think that was the only tarantula in the, in, in the campground. <laughs> you don't think so? No, they're, they're, they're harmless. <laughs> and if the camping sounds fun to you, there is one more campground, the Lava Point Campground, and that is out on Colob Terrace Road that we talked about earlier, and it's closed in the winter because of all the snow. Okay, so when is the best time to go? I think we've been probably every season. Mm-hmm. Um, summer's pretty hot. Summer can get very hot. I mean, I remember when we did the Narrows hike, it was late September, and when we came out, it was 100 degrees. Yes. So, uh, you know, summertime can be hot. The spring spring is nice also, but you can get uh, you can get snow later in spring, and, and depending on the snowpack, the 
the runoff in the spring can be pretty high, so that that might uh, nix your narrows plans. Right, right. Uh, it can be cold in the winter. So really, I mean, fall, I think, is, is the best time. Fall is absolutely perfect. We usually try to go in October and November because the crowds are a little bit less by November. And we have thought it was perfect every time. But again, we've been in January and March and June and September. So there's really never a bad time to see. Yeah, I don't remember any of those trips being bad trips. No, so yeah, if, if you're limited on time and can only go a certain time of the year, just go. Yes, and one trip we were basically driving through on the way to somewhere else. It was January, and we had we were meeting our new friends um, to go to to hike the wave. And so all we had time for was really to drive through Zion, but we never miss it when we can. And there was a light dusting of snow in January, and remember it was like a frosty fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, especially up in that uh, checkerboard mesa area, it was spectacular. Yes, jaw dropping. So that is it for our 2.5 days. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like you could probably do squeak 2.6 or 2.7 out of all that stuff we mentioned. Absolutely. And again, once they reopen those trails, the observation point and the hidden canyon, definitely stretch it to three days because those are some hikes you won't want to miss. Yep. Just last week, we were saying how we're going to keep the episodes to 30 to 45 minutes. And now look at us. Yeah, we should stop saying that. I think we're <laughs> well over an hour, aren't we? Yeah, it's tough to cover these big parks in less than an hour. Next week, we'll be talking about another big park, Yosemite. That'll be fun. It will. And if you've been having fun with us, we'd really appreciate it if you took a second to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Okay, is there anything you need to tell me about how to pronounce Yosemite? Does it rhyme with anything? Or does it remind you of anything? <laughs> Just don't call it Yosemite. Yosemite. <laughs> you remember when you used to call it Yosemite before we went up to all the national parks? I never did. Uh...